Sponsor Juniper Abstra's intent-based multi-vendor networking solution helps you build your data center network to a specific design, then make sure it stays within that spec. Deployment automation and continuous validation. Find out more at juniper.net slash packetpushers slash Abstra. DNS today on heavy networking. We're talking to John Kristoff, one of the forces behind RFC 9210, an RFC that has also been elevated to best current practice status. And this is not some esoteric document covering some tiny, nuanced little DNS use case. Instead, this stock will likely affect most of you listening, whether you're a network operator or a name server operator. And I'm going to let John explain why RFC 9210 is so significant. But first, uh, John, I think you're new to the podcast. So welcome to Heavy Networking. In a, in a sense or two, would you tell the folks who you are and what you do? Clearly. And thanks for having me, Ethan. It's very good to be here. So my background is in, is in networking, as you might expect, as is probably the majority of your listeners. I've been doing networking for perhaps maybe the better half of about 25 or plus years in my career. And um, I've, I've largely worked in more of an operational role, tended to gravitate very closely to university network environments, but I've been in and out of a couple of commercial organizations, including a DNS service provider, worked for an internet security company, and I've actually gone back to a commercial provider working uh, in the DDoS mitigation space primarily. But I hold a couple of other hats. Um, besides that, I am currently pursuing, after a long delay, my PhD in computer science. I have Ooh. a nonprofit that I've founded doing some internet infrastructure-related research, and I participate in a number of organizations, like I'm sure many of you do, ICANN, NANOG first, and the list goes on. If people care to know more about me, it wouldn't be hard to find as much as they care to. Great stuff, John. Uh, you, you're very involved in the network community. Thank you very much for all that you're uh, you're giving back in addition to what, uh, what all you do for your day job. Uh, speaking of which, you are the co-author of RFC 9210, which is titled DNS Transport Over TCP Hyphen Operational Requirements. And this RFC has become a best current practice document as well, number 235. Would you, would you explain in a nutshell what RFC 9210 means for both DNS server operators and network operators? Right. So let, let me just sort of correct the record a little bit. When you write an RFC like this, at least this one in particular, I, w I wouldn't necessarily say it was elevated to BCP. I mean, we actually went in with the notion that this is a BCP. That was sort of the intention from the get-go. So it's not as if it's an RFC and then later becomes a BCP. So in case your re readers aren't that familiar with the process, well, um, that you was always the intention. something uh, for me there, John, a little bit. I, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it enough to know how an RFC goes to BCP status, but but writing that as the intent from the get-go uh, makes more sense. I don't know. I thought there was a committee and they were like, oh, this one's so good. We're going to make it a BCP. But it, it doesn't sound like it's exactly like that. Yeah, that, it usually doesn't happen that way, perhaps surprisingly. But you usually go into it uh, with, with that goal in mind. So that, and that's what exactly what we did. So the, the really the nature of the RFC is directed at operators more than it is like a specification, like defining any sort of new protocol or, or extension to one. It really says, here's what you must do, ought to do, should not do. That's what a BCP is essentially telling operators. And so this one in particular says, in a nutshell, DNS over TCP is a thing. It, it's a normal part of the specification. It's a normal part of DNS operations. And it should not be filtered or encumbered in any 
way other than to you know your normal part of uh, response to operational issues like if you're under attack or something otherwise it should receive receive the same service as dns over udp that's basically what it says all right now people listening in the audience may have a bunch of objections to this which we're, we're going to address but but first john you gotta you gotta tell the story behind this you wrote a blog post on your own blog that chronicles this thing and there's it's a lot of good stuff in there would you walk us through uh wh- whatever you want you don't have to go through every detail but the highlights if you like that uh, that led up to the creation of this document sure and maybe we can talk about some things that aren't in that blog post mm-hmm. so this the started actually about seven or eight years ago so i am part-time instructor at DePaul university where i teach undergraduate and graduate courses in networking and usually the courses that i'm teaching i spend a significant amount of time on network protocol design ideas and concepts um, but be- of course we all use the tcpip suite you know i spend of course a significant amount of time on all, all those protocols but i've kind of come to be associated by many students and other faculty and people in the institution for where i teach as being the guy who spends a significant amount of time on bgp and dns subsystems the routing and naming subsystems and the reason for that is is maybe perhaps twofold one is because um, that's where i spend a lot of my time and so that's where my interests lies and some of my expertise lies and if i have any particular interest or expertise above others who might teach these classes and some others do, it's that my operational experience is usually um, far exceeds what the common average uh, professor would have. Many of them are, of course, teaching full-time, whereas I'm teaching at night and I'm going back during the day and actually doing this stuff. And so when you do that, you, you, you know, it's fun for me, but I hope it's also useful for students to bring to them, okay, this is not only what the specification says, and here's how the textbook version of it works, but here's how it really works in practice. This is something I ran into last week, or here's something to look out for in the next year. So those kinds of things come up. And one of those things that I have um, often uh, brought up in DNS spaces is to say, look, I know the, you might say in a book or the specification, you might read something where you can filter DNS over TCP because it's only used for zone transfers. And I'll say, that's not right. And I'll go on to, you know, in a long lecture or some examples of why that's so. And so I've done that from time to time. And one year I had a student who I'd met outside of class after he had the class with me. And he said, look, I had a class with this other professor and I had an assignment where I had to design essentially a mock network and from soup to nuts, and I had to design all kinds of um, subnetworks and remote networks and security policies um, and authentication systems and so on and so forth. And I got to the point where I was describing this in class, or, or I forget if he was actually stood up in front of class or if it was on a homework assignment or whatever, but he had um, described where he would have a DNS server uh, for his institution, authoritative DNS server. And he described the filtering and the security posture where he allowed DNS over UDP and TCP to the server. And just after he said this, the, this other instructor objected and said, wait, hold on a second. Um, I take issue with this. Um, I would say you don't need DNS over TCP. And then hence proceeded a discussion between this student and I think a couple of other students who happened to be in this class had also had a class with me previously said, no, yep, yep, that's right. John JTK said, you need to allow DNS over TCP. And so there was some discussion about this. And I don't know that it was that big of a deal, um, but it got back to me and I took it as a big deal because when I take this sort of personally, this is, you know, when you do this stuff, as I'm sure many of your listeners are 
ultimately familiar when you when you take a sort of pride or, or um, interest and passion with what you do and certain stances you hold um, you know you want you want to make sure everyone else either believes or sees your point of view in the essentially the same way so I was a little bit annoyed by this when I heard the story from the student and I said well I'm, I'm kind of annoyed because one that's wrong I, be- I believed was wrong and two that you know we're giving contradictory messages in classes and there's nothing wrong about disagreement about certain things i mean we could all probably have certain points of view of how to best do something and there's not always one way but in this particular case you know i felt this very strongly was absolutely wrong so i began to fire off an email to this other professor basically said you know look i heard the story of something that happened about dns being filtered um when it comes to TCP, and I went and I asked him, and he responded, and he's, you know, he said, "Here's, here's why I said that. Yes, I believe this to be the case, and so on." And then, so I said, "Okay," and I kind of rubbed my hands together. I said, "Here we go. I'm going to, you know, put this other professor in his place and show him how smart I was." <laughs> and as I proceeded to do so, um, you know, I started gathering, you know, I started writing this long email, and I started referring to RFCs and other documents and presentations and what other people have said, and I realized. Um, what I believe to be true, and, what I, and I still thought was true, but wasn't really supported by any documentary evidence in the standards or any other um, really official documents where I could say what I was claiming to be the, you know, more or less protocol law. Um, there was some reason to shed doubt on the position, which wasn't by me, by the way. This wasn't, you know, an outlier position by me. This was, you know commonly held feelings within the so-called DNS community. Well, I I've still, I've sent this, you know, thousand word email anyways, and, you know, listed all of this stuff about you know, why this was the right uh, answer. Um, and he said, okay, thank you very much, more or less, and, and kind of moved on with his life, I think, and probably just <laughs> discarded it and thought, wow, this guy's a little nuts. Um, but I was very, unsa- I, left, I, was, I felt very dissatisfied and, and somewhat humbled by that experience and realized that, you know, we we didn't have something that really clearly states that DNS over TCP is a thing and it shouldn't be filtered and this is why you need it. And so that's where it started. That's how this came to be is I wanted to have a better response. I wanted basically something like an RFC, a BCP that said, this is this is sort of the state of the world and this is why. And, and this is something I could point to the next time I had this sort of interaction with somebody. So that's how it, how, that's how it became a BCP. That's where it started. Okay. So you, you were like, we are going to codify this thing. Because I thought it was interesting that you went looking back, expecting to be able to find the things that you can point to and go, look, this RFC says this and this one says this, but nothing really put that together for you. And so you had to create this doc yourself. Exactly. It was, it was, you saw some things that were in support of your position, and then you saw some other things that were in support of another position where it was okay to filter. And I was like, hmm, so this needs to be reconciled. Now, I, I read through this document in preparation to record, and so I raised what I thought might be you know, common uh, issues or common objections that you might have seen from the community that you address in this document, and I thought we'd walk through them as a way of digesting some of what's in there. Uh, one, you raised already the fact that there's this conception that you need DNS over TCP for zone transfers. So if you're not dealing with zone transfers, you can filter that, and and that's fine. And hey, maybe I'm running a, a recursive server only anyway, certainly 
certainly no zone transfers there. How, how would you, what would you say to those folks that are coming from that point of view? Well, it's not necessarily an entirely wrong position to hold. It's one that people have had for a long time. In fact, there, one of the earliest references I found to the notion of filtering DNS over TCP was from uh, Bellovin and Cheswick in their Internet Security Firewalls book, which is probably the classic Internet security book of all time. That was literally one of the first security books written. And they say exactly that, that you really only need DNS over TCP for zone transfers. So that's probably, I think, at least from what I could find, is where this idea started. And, you know, far be it for me to argue with Steve Bellavin and Bill Cheswick. I mean, hmm. th those guys are legendary. And if you haven't had them on, on your podcast, I hope maybe someday you would. I'd love to hear uh, stories from them, too. Um, and maybe you can even ask them about this. That would be interesting. <laughs> the... Um, then um, there's some other documents that essentially said a similar sort of thing. Um, and it's, it's been true historically, at least early on in the world of DNS, even some of the early RFCs basically said, you know, we expect DNS queries to start and end over UDP because it's all you really need. And there was always a notion of UDP being faster and, you know, just simpler um, and not having to instantiate, you know, state and, and create all the, you know, the resources associated with that and deal with any you know performance related issues or latency and and so on and so forth um so for some time that's been true and even for much of the actual dns traffic that you may see on a day-to-day -day basis that's even true that yes the dns queries by and large even still today um maybe close to 100 percent, if not 100 percent, for many of your systems will be over udp however um, that's not, you can't rely on that anymore, unfortunately, or, or perhaps fortunately. The, the reality is there's a few reasons why we now need TCP. Um, one is for zone transfers, but we can even forget about zone transfers, you know, taking particularly the case of queries. Something that's become very popular, and this is, I think, actually a, a better argument than some of uh, perhaps the other reasons like DNSSEC, which we may talk about, is that one of the ways to mitigate denial of service attacks against DNS servers has been when DNS servers have been subject to spoofed packet amplification floods, hmm. right? Someone sends a query with a fake source address and they're trying to elicit a large response. And so they're creating that amplification, but they're also reflecting because of the spoofed address. One of the ways to mitigate against this, a pretty effective way, has been known as something um, RRL, the, the rate limiting um, mechanism that was invented by uh, a couple of folks at ISC at the time. This basically says, I want to kind of keep track of repeated queries to my system. And uh, if it looks like this is, you know, like what a flood would look like, I'm going to start not providing a full response. That is, I, you know, if it's, a, if it's an actual attack, you wouldn't provide the full amplification. Instead, you'll send back what's known as a truncated response. This basically is, you know, nothing in, there's, there's nothing other than reflecting back the, the, the header in the question. And then one of the flags will say, this has been truncated. And that's a signal for you to re-ask it over TCP. And you won't get a response unless you re-ask over TCP. So if you filter TCP and someone is doing this and you have no control over whether someone's under attack and has to do this, you might not be able to get your queries resolved because you you are filtering TCP or don't support DNS over TCP for some reason. So I think that's one of the best arguments for why you want to have DNS over TCP. But there's others. There's, there's just simply the notion of being able to fit large answers sometimes does require 
TCP, um, DNSSEC is one of the ones that people often refer to it in that regard. There's another um, case, and I, I, we'll maybe talk about this in some um, detail maybe towards the end, is something I call DNS wedgies, but that name didn't actually make it into the final PCP. <laughs> but it's a, um, you know, you can actually cause problems, not just um, for yourself not answering queries, but if you don't do TCP, someone else who's trying to ask you a question over TCP may get into this half open state where they're waiting for a response from you. And if you're not responding because you don't do TCP, you know, you're harming them too. And so you might not care about that, but you should care. It's just, that would be you being a kind net citizen, you know, why wouldn't you care? Yeah. Half open state, they've sent a sin towards you and you've not responded to, to set right. that up. So, so you're just sitting there when it's stuck. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, so you've highlighted some some clear things here. Now, there's some people that are maybe not familiar with some of the details of how these different transactions work, and maybe they've got an objection going, wait a minute, TCP over UDP, part of the magic here is just efficiency. If I do T DNS over TCP, and actually you just alluded to this, I got a lot more stuff I got to deal with, uh, state of this, and there's a three-way handshake that introduces some inefficiency, and you know, TCP is using more server resources. I don't want to turn that on if I don't have to for these reasons. Are they, I mean, they're not wrong. No, it's a consideration of, and it certainly depends on the type of service that we're talking about, right? There's the authoritative DNS server service, and then there's the, you know, the resolver side of it. And there's, there's different concerns for either. Um, and yes, those are considerations. Um, I guess, you know, there's, there's not necessarily an easy answer uh, for that. There's, there's a number of responses to that potential problem. You know, I'll say in practice, most of the time, just like a lot of things, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time, we don't, we don't actually worry about these problems, right? They just don't come up that often. And I think that's largely true here. Now, the 0.1% of the time it, it may come up, you know, what are you going to do? And so you do want to be prepared. So people are rightly concerned potentially about that. Um, so I guess my my response is going to be partially submit, um, dismissive. One would be, you know, too bad. Welcome to the internet. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> that's what you get paid for. That if you want to play on the internet, you know, this is how it works. And there's solutions to dealing with this. There's approaches to being able to do this effectively. Um, the the you, you don't necessarily have to do this yourself. Some people will tell you just outsource it. And that's a that's an answer. It's maybe slightly more expensive than you might like. But there's other things that can help you too. And we list some of those things in the document. I think we've, we talk about, um, you know, some of the, the, the timers that you might set, you know, to decrease the wait times and, and uh, retry timers and things like that. There's DNS cookies or, or TCP. Um, cookies and things like that help too. Yeah, I would say traditional TCP stack tuning that a lot of people are familiar with because they've had to be. Exactly. Yeah, just like a web server, there's something that's not mentioned in the spec um, is Anycast DNS. I mean, that helps too, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't just help. That was, you know, instrumental in the DNS surviving DDoS attacks at the upper um, layers of the namespace. But that would potentially help with the DNS-based um, attacks as well by being able to spread the load out. Hmm. So you're just not sympathetic, John, are you? Um, I'm sympathetic to an, to a point. Right. If someone is just, this is the way I've always done things, and I refuse to accept reality, then yeah, I'm not very sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs>
I interrupt this podcast conversation and possibly myself to explain who the heck sponsor Appstra is. In a nutshell, multi-vendor network automation plus continuous validation. And I stress multi-vendor because if you've been paying attention to acquisition news, you know that Appstra was bought by Juniper a while back. So you might be thinking you don't care about Appstra unless you're a Juniper shop. And that is just not true. Appstra can handle data center network automation across a spectrum of vendors. So what do we mean by data center automation anyway? We mean that you design the DC network to meet some business requirements you have, and you do that within the Appstra interface, and let's say it's leaf spine with eVPN. Appstra's got access to the network devices themselves, and it takes your intent to create that leaf spine physical network with an eVPN overlay and configures it for you. I mean, Appstra can't plug the cables in for you, right? You still have to do that bit. But Appstra can tell you when the cabling is out of whack, whether that's during the day zero build-out phase or the day two, hey, it looks like an optic failed phase. And that's sort of the point here. Cabling, routing relationships, device and link addressing, inter-switch links, VLANs, VTEPs, mappings, tons of these things. So many that you don't want to have to do that configuration yourself. It seems fun until you're actually building it, and then you realize it's totally not fun. You want software to stand up the data center fabric for you. Software's not going to fat finger an address. Software's not going to forget to update BGP policy. Software? Software loves you. <laughs> right, okay. Not all software loves you, but Appstra software does, so much so that it not only helps get that fabric built, but keeps it built the way you intended. Some Think was out of spec, Appstra will enforce your intent, which should help you reduce security vulnerabilities, by the way, and alert you to the bits that need a human's attention. Appstra claims up to 80% improvements in operational efficiency, 70% improvements in mean time to resolution, and 90% improvements in time to deliver, and that is a lot of love. Find out more at juniper.net slash packetpushers slash appstra. If you're a data center network engineer, this is worth your investigation. Once more, that's juniper.net slash packetpushers slash appstra. And if you talk to your Juniper rep about appstra, make sure to tell them you heard about them on Packet Pushers. juniper.net slash packetpushers slash appstra. And now back to the podcast. Okay, so another argument here that can be made is uh, that uh, if they turn on TCP, it's going to open up the DNS server to attacks that they don't want to have to deal with. So if we're thinking about this, and, and as you say, you're somewhat unsympathetic, but uh, uh, this is the internet, deal with it. What uh, What is the security infrastructure that they would be needing to put in front to help mitigate some of the more common uh, attacks that they might see on DNS over TCP? Well, if you know, if you run Linux, for instance, you know you might not have to do a whole lot. I mean, Linux is—I'm not an expert in this area, but I believe uses TCP SYN cookies by default under load. You know, so whatever that means. So if if your server starts experiencing a high rate of SYN connections coming in, the the kernel will adjust and say, "Look, I'm not going to create state for every single one of these." You know, gazillion new queries that have come in within the short interval. So by default, you'll have some protection built in your operating system. Other operating systems will behave a little bit differently. I think FreeBSD always does send cookies, for example. I think OpenBSD is OpenBSD is um, adaptive as well. Um, so it's I don't think it's particularly hard, but you you do need to be aware of the mechanisms in place. And I guess it's hard to rely on you know past is um, prelude to the future, but you know this stuff doesn't actually happen that much. Hmm. Um, so it's you know for similar reasons of other technologies don't get widely deployed is because people ignore them because they don't have to deal with them. I think you'll find this is not going to be something that's 
typically, unless you're known as a DNS service provider, you probably already know about this stuff already. You know, this is not likely to come up, so it's not like you have to invest a fortune to deal with this. You just have to be aware. You have, you have to at least be prepared. To, what are you going to do if something does happen? You know, it's all the same stuff that you would do in other means. You'd, you know, you might do some rate limiting. Um, you might do some DDoS mitigation service provider types of things. You might do that... Um, RRL mechanism by which you send back truncated responses. That's actually really um, a, a good one because you don't want to create state and uh, help, you know, uh, kill your own server by trying to instantiate all the connections that you might potentially get. Only those that you you know will actually you know complete the three-way handshake to you with. So um, I don't know if that's a perfect answer to your question, but you know all this stuff. As far as I can tell, too, from talking to people and everything I've heard in the community, no one seems to be that particularly concerned about this. It, it comes mm -hmm. up like people, yes, TCP is a potential issue, but I haven't really heard of anyone claiming that this has really been a, a, a unique and new problem that mm -hmm. we haven't been able to deal with like we've dealt with all other TCP-based attacks in the past. I, I agree with that. It isn't a new problem uh, as such, no. Um, but for those that solve the problem by just saying UDP only, that's it, I'm going to filter off TCP, they maybe do need to rethink infrastructure. So uh, to, to some degree, but it's probably leveraging infrastructure that's already in place. It's not like you're very likely to have a naked DNS server hanging out there. I mean, people can do what they want, right? You know, the, the BCP says you must or must not do this, but there's no protocol police that's going to, you know, come slap the handcuffs on them if they don't. Right. And there's not even like a manners project where people are doing any sort of, uh, you know, listing of who's who's complying to certain specifications. Um, so people can do what they want. If they decide not to do TCP, I'll simply say, you know, you may run into problems. And you may have people that complain, or you may have people say, hey, why aren't you implementing BCP? And you'll have to deal with, you know, if, you, if you're if you okay with that, I guess I can't stop you. Um, but for the people who do say that, I can say this is a BCP, and their argument's like, well, I just don't feel like it. Like, I, okay, I guess <laughs> that's an answer. It's <laughs> not a satisfactory say? one, but, you know, that's... Right. right. Uh, so let's talk about uh, EDNS uh, signaling. You mentioned this earlier, and we haven't gotten into it at all, but that is where uh, it's a tool that can be used to signal, hey, I could not fit the response into my UDP payload because the maximum size, it was, it was too much, it exceeded, so you've got a truncated response. You could try again um, uh, with with something smaller and, and fit it in that way. And uh, so people could say, hey, that mechanism seems to work well enough. And eventually, there's some back and forth, but eventually I get my entire payload delivered over UDP. Isn't that fine, John? So the EDNS is, is kind of both a burden and, and um, a boon sometimes. Um, the way it works with the MTU inside the, the header of an, an EDNS extension is that there's always an MTU there. And there's a negotiation right between the two sides. Each will potentially say, you know, what's their maximum transmission unit, essentially what the DNS payload size is. And, I, you know, typically you'll see the maximum um, advertised in the internet will be like four kilobytes. Um, some people have come to believe that's maybe a little bit too large because that maybe does help facilitate amplification attacks. Some people have suggested going a little bit smaller, like around you know the Ethernet size, basically will fit in an Ethernet packet, which seems a little bit more reasonable, right? Um, if you um, use this, yes, you'll get around some of the the 
need for TCP, and this is actually, I think, you know, if we didn't have EDNS, we probably wouldn't see more DNS traffic with DNS. Um, so EDNS helped stave off some of the use of, of TCP. And that, again, may be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. The, um, but you still will run into a case where some of you surely have probably seen this either with DNSSEC, or you often see it with a reverse lookup, a pointer query, where especially in shared infrastructures, one IP address maps to a whole bunch of name servers, you'll see a large response or a large text answer will we'll exceed even what EDNS MTU is negotiated between the two clients. And so you'll still need to do, um, you either have to accept a truncated payload, which I think many um, systems just won't do that because they're not sure what to necessarily do with it because you don't know what you're missing. But you may need to go to TCP anyway. So the cases of where you need to go to TCP may be less, but they're, they're still there. The other thing you might say is even with EDNS, sometimes you want that level of through a handshake with TCP for the reasons I mentioned already is you want to be able to have the ability to do, you know, the three-way handshake-based verification that there is someone that actually can respond to um, to you and communicate with you. It's not a spoofed address coming your way. Now, one of the large payloads we'd be getting back is uh, that would bring on this problem of, uh, you know, MTU. DNSSEC, uh, some of those queries and responses that come back can be sizable. And so someone might say, yeah, DNSSEC really isn't a part of my world. I don't care that much about that. So, uh, so John, I'm still, I'm still going to fight you on this TCP thing. They, uh, they right or wrong. Um, I very much sympathize with that view of DNSSEC. I, I'm not a huge fan of DNSSEC. I'm not opposed to DNSSEC, but I definitely sympathize with DNSSEC as an imperfect technology <laughs> and, people questioning why they would even use it. Um, unfortunately, like a lot of people still complain about IPv6, you know, it's, it's a little bit too bad at this point. So, you know, this is what we have. This is kind of, for better or worse, this is what we're stuck with. This is what we have to do authentication in DNS world, um, at least for some part of DNS. There's some things we could maybe talk about with, you know, Quick and DNS over TLS and why maybe even DNSSEC might not necessarily be as needed. Um, but this is what we have to work with. So while you may not like it, um, depending on your organization, if you're just a stub end organization where you don't have any networks behind you, you know, it's a position you can maybe hold a little easier. But if you're a transit network, you know, it's diff that's a difficult position to hold because you don't know what people in your network or behind you need to do. They might want DNSSEC whether you like it or not. So you have to at least allow it for that reason, perhaps. So um, again, I sympathize with that response, you know, not being a fan of DNSSEC myself all that much. Um, but again, it's it's not necessarily the only reason for DNS over TCP, yeah. as we've already talked about. There's other records that are going to be potentially large. There's going to be other reasons for why DNS over TCP might be needed or used. And if you ignore those, well, you may run into a problem. And you know, if the only way out is DNS over TCP, you know, I, again, I guess I don't have much sympathy for you if you're just going to you know plug your ears and not listen. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about people who have been listening and what kind of feedback you've gotten. And I see uh, potentially three classes of uh, folks that might be interested in this: server operators, uh, network operators, and then name server software maintainers. So, what responses have you been getting back from this document, John? Um, maybe perhaps surprisingly to your listeners, I'd, I'd actually like more responses because I haven't 
never really got all that much response to the document itself. And I think part of the reason is because, at least maybe in the community I hang out with, it's somewhat of a, I have a biased viewpoint of the world. But in the DNS community, the network operator community like Nanog and Ripe, you know, this stuff isn't that controversial. Um, it's kind of, you know, when I brought this up initially in a Nanog meeting before any spec was written, you know, I'd asked essentially the audience, you know, what do you think about this? Do we, you know, does everyone agree that DNS over TCP should not be filtered? And everyone is basically in unanimous agreement. Mm-hmm. So this, this, I don't think this document is necessarily drawn out of any particular criticism. Um, some people have sort of, you know, given the thumbs up on it and then said, that's great. Glad we have this now. Um, but that's largely been it. I would like to hear actually from maybe teachers who might still be, you know, trying to convey this message of, you know, only for uh, zone transfers. Um, But also maybe I suspect more the enterprise type of operator where, you know, they they operate a little bit more like a walled garden approach and they, they really do limit very heavily what goes in and out of the network. If this is some, if this is a matter to them that they care about. If this is something they're doing is blocking DNS over TCP, I'd kind of like to hear from them what they think about it. Um, and if we've, at least in this document or this podcast, have been at least compelling enough to have them reconsider um, their position. And be, before they change anything, I'd like to see, you know, do mm-hmm. they take a measurement of what you're seeing that might be blocked if you're blocking it? You know, do you see anything? And what is that? Um, maybe you'll be surprised. Maybe you won't be. I'd like to hear about it. So. Consider that a solicitation, I guess, for feedback. Hopefully, you'll get some. <laughs> and John, what, uh, what if people want to contact you directly with that feedback? Do you want to just pull up RFC ninety two ten with the contact info that's in there, or do you have what preferences you have? Um, my contact is is in that RFC. They can certainly send me email um, if they'd like to have a more public discussion about it. You know, they can find me on Twitter. There's DNS oriented groups in the community. Probably the best general one people ought to be familiar with that are listening and are still with us at this point in this podcast is the DNS-operations mailing list. This is run by DNS OARC. It's DNS-OARC. Um, maybe you could provide a reference to that in your no- your show notes at, at the end. That would be probably the public place to go is DNS operations mailing list. Um, yeah, those are probably the two best places. Either me directly or that list would be the place to go for this kind of discussion. So, John, one last question for you then. For people that have more detailed questions about this, of course, they can go read the document. Um, but maybe they have like questions about, okay, I got to rethink some of my security infrastructure. Are there resources, presentations, things that you would recommend that they go review? So, for there is a presentation I had given basically on this RFC if they want to see it. It was, um, at, I'd have to dig up the exact. Uh, show but it was there was one at nanog and one at an itf but it largely covers ground i think we've either covered here or that's in the document yeah then the um, nanog one goes back a, a ways a little ways right a few years of dna it, it I want to say I nanog 83 something like that i'd have to I th- it's actually well before that i think even i think it's like oh, 60 wow. something because we're already okay. up to like 85 86 this year so the um and I, I don't remember if that was recorded or not but the slides are at least available the um you know there's Probably the discussion that maybe happened in the DNS op working group in the IETF, um, if they have more detailed questions about this, there's, I had a um, GitHub repo where you can kind of follow the changes of the draft. And, you know, this is for people who really care about the minute details of, you know, this, I don't know that this is all that interesting, other than maybe one thing, if you don't mind me mentioning, I mm-hmm. mentioned this, I, this, this term DNS wedgie earlier. 
And pretty much since the early version of the draft, I, what, there's one section that talks about um, a potential problem if you filter DNS over TCP. And I termed this, because I thought it was a good term, DNS wedgie, which basically this is you know getting your TCP state stuck because someone's filtering. And that term made it all the way until almost the very end of this document's publication. And one person questions, is this really the right term for this? And we didn't really even discuss it. We were just like, okay, fine, we'll rename it. So we renamed it. I'm a little bit disappointed by that, but I'm not, I'm actually a little surprised it took that long for someone to actually even notice and take that out of the document. But I, <laughs> I almost got in the DNS wedgie as a thing, but maybe it's good I didn't invent new terminology. <laughs> uh, but anyways, the, the, so the GitHub repo is, is a place. Um, maybe contacting me directly is, is another thing. I don't know that there's much um, that's been written specifically about this. There's lots of things related to DNS TCP that we put in the bibliography in the RFC. And so if you want to see some other rationale of why you might want DNS TCP, there's a whole, there's a whole list of other specifications that I, I tried to enumerate that had some mention of DNS over TCP. And so th those are potentially other you know, rationales for people not to filter it. Um, but there's other things there that you might go read. Um, it, that bibliography is probably already out of date. Um, but there's a whole slew of things to look at um, there if you want to read more about this. So, John, I know I said one more question, but 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 actually you were signaling to me that there's there's even a few more things you wanted to bring up. You had an anecdote and uh, and uh, some other info you wanted to share. Yes. Thanks, Ethan. So one reaction I, I think your audience may be interested in this is in the blog post that I put up was the student who originally told me about this encounter that he had with this the professor who suggested blocking DNS over TCP. When the BCP and RFC were published, I sent him a little note and I said, hey, look, it's finally got done. And he's, he responded right away and he said, oh, that's fantastic. He said, now I can go back to the students and say, give me my points back. <laughs> this is Simon. <laughs> and I actually, I was surprised because I said, really, did you get docked off for this? And he said, no, I'm just joking. But he said, I'm gonna contact him about this and make sure he knows about it. So I thought that was funny. Um, the other thing I was gonna um, mention, if you don't mind, it's a little bit selfish on my part, but I, I was hoping that your readers might be interested in this because it is related to this topic, at least in part, is the, the the place where you can find me online on my blog and my email address you know, ends at this domain is dataplane.org. And hopefully your readers will appreciate the name Dataplane itself. It's it's actually the, the top level URL is a nonprofit organization where we do some security and network infrastructure related things. And we're, we are currently in the process of becoming a nonprofit and we give out information, we give out basically data and we perform measurements and statistics. And some of this will be related to DNS. And perhaps some of it in the coming months, years will be related to DNS over TCP. So maybe there'll be some more information about that. So we're hoping that people can check this out, see what they think of it and uh, take a look at it. So that's all I was hoping to plug. Thanks for, thanks again, Ethan, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah again, thanks. Thanks, John, for being on the show. And again, that's a dataplane.org. I am subscribed to your, to your blog feed over there. So great yeah, stuff. Perfect. Thanks. Great stuff, John. Now you mentioned you have a Twitter account. Uh, what is your handle on Twitter? Um, I usually go by the initials JTK, but I came to Twitter a little too late for that one. So it's JTK and then the rest of my last name. So it's JT Kristoff and it's uh, two F's on the end. I'm sure people will be able to find that fairly easily. 
I did. Yeah, it was no trouble. Okay, John, thank you very much for appearing on Heavy Networking today. And uh, all of you out there listening, thanks to you for tuning in. You are most excellent humans. Remember that if you aim your browser at packetpushers.net, you're going to find a gateway to several 100% free resources designed for your professional career development. We have a Slack group, a weekly newsletter, technical articles from the community, and of course, our current lineup of podcasts. I'm going to raise the flag on a couple of them maybe you haven't heard of yet. For instance, we have Heavy strategy. That is with Packet Pusher's own Greg Farrow and John Attil Johnson of Numerity's Research. They are helping folks making strategic decisions for their IT organizations. Again, that's the Heavy Strategy Podcast. And we've got a brand new one, Kubernetes Unpacked. That is with host Michael Levon. And you can find that incubating in our community podcast channel if we haven't already graduated Kubernetes Unpacked to its very own channel by now. If you'd like to follow us on the socials, we are on Twitter and LinkedIn at Packet Pushers. And you can use those channels to keep up with everything we're publishing. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.